This is really inspired by what we were talking about last week as our part of our New Jersey Giants share. Um, but I thought it really opened up the idea, especially the, the, the reaction when we were reading Rabbi Silverstone's droshas, uh, the reaction to you know, how, how pertinent and interesting his comments were and how much uh, his droshas really gave you a snapshot of what the life was like there in a way that is going to stick with you, in a way that you know, frontal teaching and just giving you a whole lecture about what life was like doesn't. That's really the power, not only because we're predisposed to like a good drash. You're going to see from some of the sources that this is actually part of the power of, of, of drash's chazal, and maybe what chazal really intended, uh, that through them we can actually learn so much about the time and the period and to take important lessons. Um, I, I, I can't ignore the fact, as I'm going to read here from the blurb, the collective community of Klal Yisrael begins the nine days seeking support and succor from ideas that can redirect us. Because we know we have the Chorban, we know it's not in our hands. Um, and, and we're looking for direction. We're looking for things from our Mesorah. Uh We focus on words that are preached, presented today in a video age, uh, a video that maybe we'll watch on Tisha B'Av or during this period on, of Achdus Yisrael or something like that. That's some of the things that people are doing to sort of get their mind into it. And most of those things that we're going to study about uh, are suggesting paths of restoration. What are ways that we can restore the, the relationship? Because we realize that we feel the distance, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago on Shavasa Batamas, the sense of the relationship uh, having spoiled or having uh, having seemed to be soured. Uh, and we know the exile is a reality, and it, it, it indicates that we don't have that relationship. Um, so what have we been doing the last couple of weeks especially? The Chuvas and Paiskim Shir, that's us, or me, and you in- included, uh, are steeped in didactic homiletic literature, because that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at literature that's drash, it's making a point. But we're going to dig up some, digging up nuggets of rabbinic writing that gleam with implication, because as you're going to see, He's talking about something, this rabbi, and, and there's a message here. And it offers a unique window to our past century and a half, over the last 150 years, a very tumultuous era. And more than just, I think, discovering an interesting reference to something in history, hopefully pointing towards a plan with a capital P for a glorious future. So I call this a deduction from drushas. We're going to look at those drushas and we're going to deduce, especially, I think, things that are, are pertinent for today, for this period, for the nine days. So I want to start with uh, this Medrashaba, which is really found, a similar, a similar uh, Nusach is found in Gemara Sanhedrin and other places. Um, but it's, 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 it starts with a Pusik, the Medrash Rabbi in Bereshis starts with this Pusik in Tilim, Goyim Boru, um, Galmi Roe Necha, which the Pusik refers to not just every human being, but specifically Adam Arishon. He was a Goyim, not like the Maraos Goyim, but he was a, a Goyim in the sense of a unformed item. It was like a pure potential. The Goyim Roe Necha. Uh, that was the Rabbi Nishraim looking at Adam. Amar of Yehuda bar Simayin, Ach Adam Arishin, Mutal Goylem. Adam Arishin was there just like a golem. There was what was there, just potential to have, right? And the Medrash before that said that he it was a gigantic golem. He was this huge being encompassing the whole planet. 
And here he was with Nemisham of I'm talking about a captive audience. He was sort of unformed and he was going to be given before humanity begins its, its, its odyssey in history. Meaning that Adam is going to watch a movie, so to speak. Uh, that's the only way I can explain it. Downloaded into Odom's mind is going to be history. The history of Janor Dor Now, we know that a very similar statement in Bamid Baraba speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu also getting the same downloading treatment, right? He also got all that into his brain and uploaded into his brain. That's right. And Moshe Rabbein, of course, stopped by Rabbi Akiva, as we know. That's the famous Chazal that Moshe saw what is with Rabbi Akiva. And he said, what's going on here? How can you do this? But it happened to Odomarishan first. And Odomarishan gets the whole enchilada, gets the whole, seemingly all of history. But it's interesting that the way um, it's described, it's this dor dor vidor shav. The simple shot, if somehow what the Rabbanu Shalom was doing was giving Adam Arishon a, because Rabbanu Shalom could do anything, and Adam Arishon then was like a super being. He was giving him a, he was giving him, a, you know, it's almost like a science fiction movie, like he's putting into his brain the whole, uh, like in a component of all human history, like in one shot. Similarly, we have the Moshe Rabbeinu getting the whole Torah, like as a Matana. So you sort of have to wonder, um, why does it say dor dor vidor shav? It should say hero late kolad right? Right. So you could say right, including the dorshim, the chachamim, the sofrim, and the manhigim. But I think, and again, I saw this by Rav Unterman, a little bit like this idea, and I thought Reb Zevin had said it, but I'm sure I can find it somewhere with enough research. Adamarishan couldn't sit there for a uh, a six thousand hour movie. Just not shy, right? <laughs> I don't care, right? You can't, right? That wasn't what the Rishon wanted from Adam, but he wanted to give him. And this is the chap that Rav Unterman suggests, and Rav Zevin also, I think, backs up. Is that what's a way that you can give a person a sense of that whole era without making him watch a, sh- a, a, a movie from Aleph to Tuf about every event? Listen to what I'm saying. Show him the drashes. Show him the, dr- the drashes of Chazal, the drashes of the Rabbonim. And from the drashes themselves, you can pretty much get a snapshot exactly what's going on. By showing him the, this is again, a, this is a drush within a drush. But it makes sense. Because we in the historical area know that the drashes can be mined and you can find their like in a paragraph, as we saw last week, a paragraph can tell us chapters and chapters. A paragraph of Drush can tell us that's where the Ilum was holding. Because unlike, for example, Shilas and Shuvas, which also show a little bit about what's going on, which is, of course, Dor Dor Vachachomov, because you, you could definitely tell somebody in future generations will look at the Chuvas of Ramesha or look at the Chuvas of Rav Yenisenstein, or look at the Chuvas of Rav Henkin. Oh, look what was going on then. Look at about the issues that were, that were, Israel was facing. Yes and no, because sometimes the Chuvas is just an interesting point that, you know, but it wasn't necessarily true about everything there, but but you can tell. But the Drush is really the rabbi speaking to his congregants, speaking to his community, knowing what they're about, and trying to reach them with 
Maimari Chazal and Psukim. And you can see from the message he's trying to say what their weaknesses were, what was wrong with them, so to speak, what was going on with them. So what one could say is, again, it's a drash. But knowing, when we look at drush svarim, many of them are muznach. Because, I don't have, listen, you can give me an old drush safer from 300 years ago, from the Aflo's son? Okay, <laughs> look, who uses it now? Uh, give me a choice. Um, give me a, a, a Macrae's Gedeus, give me even a Kleoker or something, which even though it has elements of Drush in it, it could still tell me Pshat. What Drush farmers are able to do for a, for a person who's looking through history and to know what the Matzav of people were is incredible. And I found that consistently, that that's a, it's, it's a Oitzer Mole. That's Dor Dor Vidorshov. Um, another element, I think, in Drush that one has to see, and this I think is relevant to today, uh, it's a Mesechtas Soifrim, Perakut Ches. I'm quoting it somewhat out of context. If you look in Perakut Ches, the Mesechtas Soifrim, it gives the, Mesechtas Soifrim is really the, the prototype of the Siddur. If you look in the back of Mesechtas, if you go through the Prok of Mesechtas Soifrim, you'll see how our Siddur developed. And that's where it mentions which Psukim you say, the Shir Shalyoim. Which Psukim Shir Shalyoim are supposed to be said. And it mentions how each day, I don't know what's going on with the food. I think it's on its way. That's what they said. But it says at the end there that saying the Shir Shalyom is so crucial. And this is Kolamaskir Pasuk Boy Nosoi. If you say the Pasuk on the right day, so Malov Kiyu Bonam is Beachodosh, the Akrivel of Korban. It's like, now, the simple shot is, is, when we say Shir Shalyom, we're like the Levim and the Beis Amikdash, and we are, the Beis Amikdash lives. Um, I saw, and again, I'll show you by Ravuntarman, he has a chap in this, again, making a drash into this Mesech the Seifrim, that sometimes, and, and again, when you pick the right Pusik that hits the zeitgeist for the time, but there's when you find the Pusik, meaning the way, where people are holding, when you get that pasuk ba'inosay, in other words, every period, that's the perfect pasuk for today. That's what you have to find. If you can mention that pasuk, in other words, we're struggling with an issue. Whatever it is, this is people aren't learning, iPhones, whatever whatever the issue is, right? There's not enough recourse, there's enough concentration, uh, there's so much narish, too many videos, whatever the, 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 whatever the problem we're struggling with. If we could come up with the Pusik, and I'm going to put in parentheses, the Maimar Chazal, or the Medrash, or the Chap, we're, yeah, if we could come up with the right Pusik, and we can make it relevant, and we can show, hey, we've got an answer, and we're not just throwing up our hands in frustration, or just, you know, saying, well, well let's bring in, you know, Dr. Pelkowitz, let's bring in someone else for this issue, which is good, right? And we need to bring David Pelkowitz's in. We need to bring people who know how to deal with, with, with things that are, that are, that are troubling our community. But if you could anchor it in a Pusik and a Chazal, despite the fact that 200 years ago or 300 years ago, or even when that Maimra Chazal was stated, that's not what they were probably thinking. But if you can entrench it, then what you've done is you've made Torah and its sources relevant to the people that are listening. And they're not just looking at it as something that is an academic experience that they don't really take a part in. You have to really, you know where the people are holding. If you're masker pasuk ba'inosoi, meaning the time that, that is now, 
not just on a Sunday you say uh, the right mizmor, but if you're mentioning the pasuk, malalov keilu bana mizbeya chodesh. Because, you know why? Because this door needs the Mizbeach. In other words, mask him, mask him. But the point is, is that up until now, right, but, but, but the, it's almost like now we're shaman. So it's like we're, it's like the way I understand this, it's like we're shaman. And, and where's the answer? The Torah, like, oh, what, you're a bench clock, you're going to learn Torah. Where's the answer for us? What are we supposed to do for Achtas and Aruma? What are we supposed to do with all the Pirun? Oh. You now have a pasuk by and and, it, and now so now oh and I a mizbeach not that it's a mizbeach with with a bunch of psychedelic Peter Max stuff on the side you know what I'm saying it's not a mizbeach chodosh you see where I'm coming from it's not a mizbeach chodosh that's like you know uh, a Rubik's cube right that's not the pshat the pshat is it's a mizbeach chodosh because hey. No because the truth is we have something. And, and not only that, you put a carbon there, carbon, Milosh and Kurva, we've come close to the Rabbi Shalom if we use Drush correctly. So Drush isn't just, oh, the rabbi's got to earn his, his keep, and the rabbi's got to give his speech, oh, that was a good speech. It, it could be the power of Drush is to actually motivate and, and, and give a life force which is really the whole idea of what we want with Carbonos. Carbonos, uh, which, which is, as we know, Domim, right? Uh, if you did the Dafyomi recently, the Gemara says that the Domim is more Kodesh, right? When there's something alive, and, and it's not the bloodiness, it's the sense of, 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 of relevance and connectedness that makes the thing more holy. And that's why, you know, it, it, uh, the Gemara, the, the Mishnah says that Meiser Behema, which is a Kachim Kalim, which is less, which is the least of the Kachim Kalim, is above the Chatois of the Oaf. Because Domim means, Domim speaks more. And that's more Kodesh. And when you are, similarly, I can, again, I can quote from Dafyemi from Haint Morgan, but I'm saying from the Dafyemi, it says that if you're Machaper, the fact that an Avera becomes, gets Kapora is greater than an Ola. The fact, that's more Kedusha when you exhibit a, a, an incredible change. And that, I think, fits in the idea of Hikrava of carbon. So what I'm going to do is, as I say, uh, discover how these Psukim and Murachazal have been appropriated, yes, clearly not shot, to reflect the storms and the crisis of the day. So I've got some stuff here on, on, on communism or, or the Russian totalitarianism. That's from the Nitziv. Rampant assimilation I've got from a lot of places. I want to start really from where, from Silverstone. I want to talk about Leopold and Lowe because it has to do a little bit about this week's Parsha and I'll show you right now. Let's take a look, shall we? So, Let's take a look here on um, Leopold. How many people know Leopold and Lil Bar, by the way? Is that uh, is, is, is it a familiar thing to people here? I don't care. I, I just want how much background I have to give. Um, do, I have to give some, do I have to give some background? Okay. So I'm going to start with Silverstone. who was giving Droshes this Alterov in, 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 in Washington that we saw last week. He's giving these Droshes. And again... Can his audience read these drushes once he prints it? Probably not. These are meant for his community in Eretz Yisrael. But I believe he probably said something like this from the Bima. When did he say this thing from the Bima? It had to be 1924. It had to be the hot summer of 1924, where the whole world was riveted by what was going on in Chicago concerning the fate of two Jewish brilliant young men that was Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb who had been, who had confessed to a incredible murder, a terrible murder. 
of another Jewish boy, Bobby Franks, who was a Jewish child who was at the time. Why was why did the whole world care about the fact that two fellows killed someone else? Well, first of all, I guess murder wasn't as rampant and common as it was today, but also because it, it, it was called the crime and the trial of the century. And the reason was, was because and no one could believe that these two men who actually, these two boys, 18 and 19 years old, they, they, they penned a, uh, a ransom note. Uh, they asked for, you know, whatever the millions of dollars for, which they didn't need. Uh, both of them were employees. They both had already been in, uh, they both had finished high school. Uh, Loeb finished high school when he was 14. Was already, uh, uh, he's already basically in graduate school and college by that time. And we're not talking about, um, you know, Essex County. He was in the University of Chicago, which was one of the, still is one of the finest universities in the United States. And he was already in his, after his first year in the UFC, he was already after his first or second year, or whatever it was, he was almost in, towards the graduate school in the UFC. Um, and, 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 and Leopold was not that far behind him. So they were brilliant, Wealthy uh, Loeb was a uh, uh, was part of the Sears and Roebuck. Uh, was he remember Sears? Remember them? <laughs> when people go through history, they used to be remember Sears, right? Sears was the was the biggest of uh, the retailers. In fact, invented the idea of the retail store. Right? These were so these were the, these were the the descendants of German Jews who had Leopold and Loeb. German Jews whose families had come to the United States in, in the mid-19th century had they were the American Jewish success story, and they lived in, in the wealthiest, almost it was like a very Jewish wealthy enclave right near Lake Michigan in Chicago. Thank you, thank you, Mayor. It comes, it comes our lunch, um, and um, I have to give him. Uh, is he, did, he, did he leave already? Okay, I got to give him. Can you go to the tobacco box and get get two dollars to give to him? Thank you. So, um, so people were wondering what's going on. Again, we, we've heard of gangsters, we've heard of people who kidnapped. The Lindbergh baby was a couple of years later, but there's been Mishugoyim who kidnapped. Here is a, in a, 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 a murder. They didn't even wait for the ransom money. They they sent the ransom money. They they sent the ransom note, and they killed the kid immediately. Right? They killed him. Right? And wow! And then even more than that was the fact that when the police raided their house and they discovered among their letters that, you know, even though Leopold was the one who looked more shifty-eyed and looked like Loeb was actually the good-looking one, the younger one was actually the mastermind of the whole idea, and that they had been involved in the ideas of Friedrich Nietzsche, right? You've heard of Friedrich Nietzsche. That was, of course, the, the great German philosopher, the, the father of what's considered nihilism, the fact that there's no purpose for anything, right? That the world, God, doesn't really exist. There's no purpose for religion. That was, you know, Nietzsche was, you know, we know that Friedrich Nietzsche was one of the most important thinkers of his time. And, right? And, and Leopold and Loeb were, were, were students of Nietzsche. And what they wanted to do, and it was also, of course, discovered about them, that they had been lovers, that they were lovers. They were Jewish, gay, rich, murderers, and, right, what? <laughs> so the whole world was like, whoa! So, you know, Leopold and Loeb, again, they were worth, at that time, we talked about money last week, 
Uh, the Loeb family was worth on paper. We don't know how much they had under the table. Ten million dollars easy. Right. And, 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 and the Leopolds were worth over four million. So at that time, they were some of the wealthiest people in the United States. Right. There are billionaires today living as Jews. Right. Their, their children were raised by governesses. And it was it, it fascinated the world that how could this happen? What does this show that society? The roaring 20s. Look what it's look what it's done. The debauchery of youth. What happened to America? This this was the story of the century, the story of of what's going on. This story was like the Kitty Genovese in the early 1960s, where people don't care about each other. This story was like, what does it say about our youth? What does it say about the Jews? What does it say about what Jews, where the Jews are? Now, you know, Mayor Levin, who wrote um, a fictionalized version of this story, uh, said it's a good thing that their victim was a Jew. It was actually, it was, it was actually Loeb's, it was Loeb's uh, second cousin, Bobby Frank. They took a 14-year-old kid and they killed him. Um, okay, so... What, again, and there's another topper to this. Okay, uh, if you take uh, Barry Sheck, uh, Johnny Cochran, um, uh, who else? Effley Bailey, you wrap them all together. There's one name that sort of like <laughs> represents all of them. And that's, of course, Clarence Darrow. You might have heard of him, Clarence Darrow. Clarence Darrow, of course, was the, was the, was the famous, uh, defender of evolution in the Scopes Monkey trial. People might know about that. So Leopold hired, he said, look, my kids have confessed. Because again, they, they were, they were, they were, they were, in fact, they actually showed the police how they did it. They actually showed the police exactly what they did. They were proud of it. They were actually smirking and smiling, uh, and they were, because to them, hey, look, you see, we outsmarted you. If we didn't come in and admit you, we never found anything. They were, like, they didn't care, again, they didn't care about life. <laughs> but their parents, especially Mr. Leopold, uh, contacted Clarence Darrow, and he said, I'll pay you anything. Get, save my children's lives. Save Loeb's life, too. He's my neighbor. So the Leopolds and the Loeb's put all their money hiring the most expensive lawyer in the land, the greatest legal mind in the land, to defend these two Jewish boys, Clarence Darrow. So that's that's what was going on in the summer of 1924, and everybody was involved in trying to figure out so how is this going to what's going to happen here. <laughs> That's right, that's right. Things, things have been happening. So, Silverstein, so take, let's take a look and see what Silverstone does with this story. Okay, so he starts with this week's Parsha. Let's check it out, shall we? Is that better? Okay. Okay, this is Rep. Silverstone, the Rov in, in Washington. What do we see? The Medrash says by B'nai Godu B'nai Ruvain, right? We know in this week's Parsha they beg for the right to live in in in, chutz, in, in what's called the Yarde. right? What does it say? Show you Ashirim. Vahoyu lehem mikne gadol vechivav u'mamayna veyoshvam chutz meretz Yisrael. It's because of their money. They said we can't be in Eretz Yisrael because we have to provide for what we have. Lefikach golu tchila. Do you know why they went to Chorban first? Because even though yeah we're connected to the land, but not really. 
their money was more important to them than living in Eretz Yisrael itself. So when the Chorban came, they were the first ones to lose even that, that hold that they had on greater Israel where they were. Again, it was just, we've got all the benefits. It's like Hoboken, right? You got all the benefits of, all the benefits of, of, I don't know, whatever, Hoboken, all the benefits of New York without being in New York. We're, we're in Aver Ayardain. We've got everything. They lost it first. So he says, Vezeh Maka Yishana. Silverstein says, this is an old, an old Maka. Shayyuhudim Vashiram Chvets and Leisha Bechutzlaretz. What do Jews want to do? They want to live outside of Eretz Yisrael. Who goes to Eretz Yisrael? People like in the Derech of the Rabban and the Shlach Kodesh, Tzadikim, the Goins Talmidim, the Baal Shem Tovs, uh, the, the Benachem Mendel from Vitebsk. Who goes there? Tzadikim who want to live there. What is the, what are the Aniyam going to do there besides sit and learn? Shane Bama Lafarnas is Atzmam. This is before, 1924 is before we have the entrepreneur society of today of Israel. So Silverstone says, why can't, they don't have to live there full time. Why can't these wealthy German American Jews who have so much money, why can't they invest in Israel? They could make factories. They could create uh, an economy there. Then the Yidin that moved there have a job to do. First of all, they'll make some money. Secondly, Eretz Yisroh has an economy. And third of all, there's an economy and people can actually get a job. There's plenty of people making Aliyah in the 1920s. There was the Aliyah Shnir that was going on. People were going there. If we could take 10 millionaires from, from America, and they could invest and put build some factories or something, Oh, those ten, they could create ten, could create a, a, a possible habitat for a hundred thousand. Thousands of years, it's full of what you say, Mark, swamps, it's Chorbin. Right? Um, Who's right? People need help, but who's helping them? The people go to Eretz Yisrael, as we know. That there was there was just a system that monies from Europe and America they went. It was called the Chalukah, as you know. It went to poor people living there, but again, it, it didn't build the land. The truth is, they're not all Shnorahs that want to go there. They don't want to go. If you take a look in the some ciphers tell me them and the goyim tell me them, many of them write. We don't want to just uh, We don't just want to stick our hands out and get and get people give us tzedakah. They'd like to work, but where's work in today? They can't all be farmers. Again, Silverstone realizes that this is a mod, this is the 20th century. We need to have a more uh, a, 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 a stronger economy. 
most of what we most of what we we make collections uh, we go throughout in, in many many cities by Yom Kippur and everything and more money more money but what does it go for? It goes for those people who can't survive. What are we supposed to say? Here's money. Eventually, we'll get you a job. Okay. If you're, if you, no one really wants, enjoys not having what to do. Let's now look at what has the wealth brought the American jury. Um, first of all, as you can see, intermarriage. Even Leopold, um, I believe, uh, it was either Leopold or one of them, the father was Jewish, but the mother was a Catholic. And then he mentions here Jacob Schiff. I didn't look it up, but he mentions the granddaughter of Jacob Schiff who married, I guess they were from originally married into the Christian world. Um, Be'eretz HaKadoshah, though, he says, if they would be in Eretz Yisrael, I don't care if they're not exactly religious. We know that you're going to marry a Jew. <laughs> if you go to Eretz Yisrael, they're right. He says, but in, but in Chutz Laaretz, what's going to happen? They're going to be children, but eventually you live in Chutz Laaretz and Golis. How many, many percentage have we lost through assimilation? But he says, look at Elimelech. Elimelech leaves Eretz HaKadosh. He was the God of Ador. He goes to live with Mayav. And what happens? We know Rus was a Tzadikus. But the, what happened first? What happened first was the fact that she goes and marries. <laughs> they marry Goyim. Machon Akilian marrying Goyim. But if you take a look about Herbert Samuel, who was the um, the British delegate to to Palestine, uh, Herbert Samuel, who represented uh, the Brits in, in during the Mandate period, uh, his son married a Frum girl. He, they was, he was living over there as a uh, like a, like an ambassador. I don't know how religious they were, but it turned out that his uh, son married the daughter of a Malamid in Eretz Hakodesh. He says, "Take a look." He says, "If you take a look over there, where where Herbert Samuel has his palatial estate." On Mount Scopus, you'll see that they're lighting Neiros. They're lighting Neiros Shabbos. But take a look at Chatzkel the Chayat from America. The American Jews, their children are already not lighting Neiros, so they're not keeping Shabbos. So he says going to Eretz Yisrael is, and, and having these wealthy people in Eretz Yisrael would be a segula for those children. He says, what's the reason, what do people say is the reason that... Uh, they don't want to live in Eretz Yisrael. Um, they want to stay in Chutz Laaretz. They want to be with the Goyim. What do they say? Ba'amram, Ki'aretz Mesa. What is Eretz Yisrael? It's a dead land. What do you have there? Kvarim. <laughs> says you, we have graves, interesting graves. The Arizal tells us where they are. Here's life. Eretz Yisrael is a, is a relic. Eretz Yisrael is an old dead thing. <laughs> That's what people are saying. Why should I live in Eretz Yisrael? Oh, you know what life is here? They don't want the Torah of Eretz They want the Torah. I'll see our We want to have all the good, uh, the good flesh pots. Don't they realize there's death in these flesh pots? Um, yes, you get, you have everything you want in America, but it's poison. And you'll see death comes suddenly and there's nothing left. That itself is, is, is what happens here. True. Hadorashi Agadul Beneyam. 
the generation you're raising, the Leopold boys, the Lobes, they're Tinoikos. What's going to be their end? They did everything. They raised their kids in a way that no one in Germany could have ever raised their families. They would have every positive thing they could get. Of course, there's no Torah, there's no Chachmas Yisrael. All it is is whatever the modern world has, nothing about belief. They don't care because they've anyway started to intermarry, but their children are going to be raised in the highest level. Many of them are embarrassed of the fact that they are Jewish. They're embarrassed that people know um, my uh, dad used to always tell me, you know, you know I, I reference movies all the time here, but my dad always used to tell me the story that when they were trying to raise money for the joint fund, uh, Jewish actors in Hollywood, many of them were on the forefront of trying to raise money. Uh, one of the biggest uh, persons who raised a lot of tzedakahs for Jews in Europe and throughout was Eddie Cantor. You might have heard of Eddie Cantor. Yes. Okay. Right. 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 Jolson. Jolson didn't do as much as Eddie Cantor did. So, so Eddie. So Eddie Cantor um, uh, went to the head of the MGM Studios. Now, of course, you know what MGM stands for: Metro Goldwyn Mayer. So um, the uh, mayor didn't really change his name, but Goldwyn Sam. His name was Goldfish. Sam Goldfish. So for some reason, he, he couldn't change his name to, you know, uh, Smith or, you know, Kavanaugh. Uh, um, he decided to change his name to Goldwyn. So Eddie Cantor came to Goldwyn and he said, you know, look, you know, you're, you've got a big studio running now in, in California. You're, you're at the top of the world. You got to give money to, to this, to this. She says, I can't. He says, if I give uh, uh, the amount of money I know you want me to give, for, he says, everybody will know I'm Jewish. Uh-huh. So Eddie Cantor said, this is my father told me the story about 45 years ago. Um, he said, Eddie Cantor said, Sam, you don't think people know you're Jewish? He says, you know, um, I, I want you to call the, call the newest hire on your secretary or secretarial pool. An 18, 19 year old girl, the newest one. Go call her up, please. So it took about 25 minutes till they found this girl and she comes in. She's being called to, uh, to the office and there's Eddie Cantor and Sam Goldwyn. And Sam's, and she's tittering and says, um, whatever her name was, let's call her Kathy, uh, or Miss Reynolds. Kathy, um, do you know that I'm Jewish? So she said, of course, Mr. Goldwyn, everybody knows you're Jewish, right? So Eddie Cantor was proving from there that the whole belt faced that these people are eating. But still, they're embarrassed. Even Roebuck, as you know, was Rosenberg, right? So he wanted it to be called Roebuck, right? If you call it Roebuck, people aren't going to think, right? You could have you know, Gimbals already, Gimples, that's already okay. But uh, even Gimple becomes Gimple. What? You, you didn't know? You didn't know Roebuck was Jewish, right? No, Roebuck, over right. The decades right, over the decades, people are right. So, anyway, the point is, people, they're embarrassed about knowing they're Jews, right? Yeah, yeah. Of, what? Right. What's going to be the safe dover? Here it is. Hamaisa Hashararuya Shel Chicago. 
Chicago, Leopold and Loeb proves what's going on with Jewish life in America in 1924. And then he gives you the summary. Two rich Jewish boys killed this young Jewish boy. They had enough money. They didn't hate the boy. It's a reference veil to homosexuality. They had already had all the toevos in the world. They said, we need to do one thing that we haven't experienced, which is to murder. And not to murder out of passion. To murder, to experience what it is to take with extreme cruelty a human life. And of course, they actually poured acid. They, they, they bludgeoned him to death. They poured acid all over his face. They mutilated the generals. They did everything. They, but not because they cared. They wanted to feel what it is, the total experience of man. This judgment. I don't want to say Leopold and Loeb are at fault. Their parents are at fault. Because all the ugly, disgusting, unspeakable, and again, that's the way, you know, the, the district attorney in Chicago described it as the most dastardly, evil crime in the annals of human history. Those toevos that they did, who's at fault? Their parents. If there's going to be, and at this point, I'm not sure if it was decided what was going to happen to them. Because basically, Darrow, why was Darrow drawn to this case, despite the fact of all the money? First of all, he was an incredible publicity hound. And he loved being at the center of stuff. Like, he was a garnish compared to him. Again, you know, he was, and you know, he dressed, again, I, again, I look like, you know, Ralph Lauren compared to him. He dressed like a, he was like a shalom, but say he was like, his, his pants were baggy, you know, his, his hair was disheveled, you know, he didn't have clean shirts, and then, right? And he had, you know, he walked around with the suspenders out, right? But Darrow was, he did not believe in capital punishment. Darrow, in fact, had a svara. And Darrow svara that he argued for three days in arguments. See, Darrow came in and said they're guilty. But Darrow argued for three days, um, there's a clip on YouTube where you know, they made a movie where they sort of like reenact what Darrow's speech was. You can see it on YouTube. Basically, Darrow said, what do we gain by killing? These kids are sick. They are sickos. Sickos, disgusting people. And if he says, if we could bring back the kid to life, we would. But basically, what do we have here? We, death is only going to breed more death. If we kill them, if we hang them, what do we, has there been any showing, any of the, has anything showed that by capital punishment we actually are, are, are going to stop murders from happening? And this is what his point was. They he said they probably wanted to experience what it means to die. Could be. Right. But, basically, but basically what he was saying is, is that we've come out of World War One. It wasn't World War One then. It was the Great War. And it's just been millions of deaths. We are we're sunk in our heels of death and we want to instead of growing and realizing that we gain nothing, and that we have to realize people, there isn't pure evil, Darrow claimed. People are because of how they've been taught, what they've come to expect. People are products of their environment. If a compulsion, Darrow used Freudian psychology. He did stuff there, which again, which is all part of our modern parlance today, but his basic argument was, 
that those kids are not to blame. Society and the parents, and therefore killing them accomplishes nothing. He was a liberal, but he was also believed in the idea that uh, we have to move away from the idea of, of, of just of punishing evil and seeing evil more in terms of the big picture. And that's really what Silverstone is saying here, too. It's, it's very similar. He says, you know who's at fault? Not these kids. Hey, they're brilliant. They're sickos. But what do the parents do? He says, whatever is going to be the punishment. And by the way, the judge said, the judge uh, in the case did not say, uh, he didn't accept Darrow's argument. Although they say he was crying because Darrow was so eloquent. But the judge said there's just precedent. These are, in the whole history of Illinois courts, there has never been anyone younger than 23 ever put to death or sentenced in a capital case. So the, despite the fact that their IQ supposedly were two, they say that Loeb's IQ was 215. I don't even know if that makes sense. But they say his IQ was off the charts. He was a child emotionally. Both of them were, were, were needy children who never grew up. Their brains were incredible, but their, their emotional sense and their stability and their understanding of the world was so skewered and so poisoned by philosophical ideas that really didn't even jive, and they were pampered through life, that that was, again, that was Darrow's argument. What the judge said was, look, I can't kill anybody who's so young, they're going to spend their life in, in prison. Um, but when, when, when Silverstone wrote this, it wasn't clear what the mishpat was, as you can see. He says, whatever it's going to be decided on them, you know who should really accept it? The parents. What are they going to do? To cry? We see them in court, Leopold's father, crying all the time. The parents of these wealthy children, and not just the murderers, all the wealthy kids of, of America that are leaving Judaism, the parents are to blame. You killed your children, really. Not, right? This was a drash that he was saying, and he was saying that, speaking to the people, I guess of Yishul, and he wants people to know, he says, it's these rich American Jews letting their kids get away with everything that are killing them and killing, killing Judaism. Because you know what? He says, what, you spent money on them. The kids spent all your money on, on speakeasies, on dances, on whatever it is. Each one of them had their own car, two or three cars. That money made them He didn't know that. But generations to come, what he thought, would point to Leopold and Loeb as the worst people. And I did a search. There are a number of anti-Semitic websites that put Leopold and Loeb as one of their main proofs of how decadent and disgusting the Jews are. But if you go through the actual normal newspapers of the time, they all they do mention Jewish family from a Jewish thing, but there's very little editorializing against Jews at that time because of Leopold and Loeb. There are other reasons. But the Rabbanim 
but they were known as Jews, right? They 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 identified themselves. The the in the in Chicago, the the sorority that they were part of was the Jewish sorority. The the non-Jews, the fraternity wouldn't 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 take them. The point I'm trying to make is is that the rabbanim, like Silverstone and others, were afraid that for generations to come, people are going to point to these Jews. Similar again, we talked about in the Me Too movement and other things like that. The 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 high uh, profile of so many Jews in that movement made us all worried. This is what people worried about at the time. Um, you know, he says, what could have been, though? He says, what could have been, takas, you could have done a Dover Golder with your money. You know what you could have done? And your kids, your brilliant kids, could have actually done something amazing for Eretz Yisrael. And this is where he says a very interesting dream, a utopia. I'm not giving all of your four million or your ten million. I don't know, a couple hundred thousand. How much are you paying Daryl? Right? The money that you're paying for, for your lawyer. If you would have put them for yeshivas, the Bati Knesset Sharetz Yisrael, you could have supported how many yeshivas with that? University You could have helped create a real Hebrew you. Your kids, which I know, it's um, Loeb was, a, was a, at the age of 17, was already a recognized ornithologist. Uh, he had discovered a certain type of bird. He had written uh, papers on ornithology. They could have been professorim shama. If you would have gone there to serve, they're not going to be from. But they could have, they could have lived in Israel, had a more Jewish identity. You could, you could have cre- helped create a university, and you could have pushed your kids to be the professors there. They could have been from the first, youngest, greatest professors in the new land of Israel. And they would have been like the very famous Nadiv, right? Is uh, the Nadiva Yudua is is well, it's Montefiore Moses Montefiore, right? They could have been like that by university. You could have built it, and you could have called it the Loeb University, right? Yeah, you weren't from, but you know what? Sometimes the rich people of America can do something. He's not calling to proselytize them. He's not a chabadsker. He's not going to put filling on them. But he says, if you could take some of your money. And again, look at about Lawrence Tisch, right? What did, like he says, he given a tremendous amount of money to, uh, for Art Scroll. Didn't he give some money to, right? Didn't Tisch give money to Art Scroll? What? Right? Right? So, yeah, he's not from, I don't think, right? But he's kind of Lamaba, Bishachas, right? Avoheim, are you Bachreim? Bishmam, are you a Bizayan or Kol Daris Adoyim? Right? So he says, Ashire America, he calls to all the wealthy. I don't know how many he had in Washington. But, Don't you realize by you staying here, what's happening is nobody wants to go to Eretz Yisrael. Everybody sees the society, the economy here is in America. And they see the wealthy Jews. Those are the ones who people look up to. They read about them in society pages. Those are the ones who are so cold about Israel they need to be the chalutzim of Parshas Matos and Mazda. Not like the B'nai God. 
So this is a drasha. You look at it, it's a very cute historical piece, right? So, uh, some of his prophecies didn't come true. He didn't realize what was going to happen, right? Repot and low, you guys didn't even know about it. I had to give you a little crash course in it, right? But the point is, is that you can see from here where America was. You can see where Rabbanim were. You can see the reality of, of the wealth of American Jews. And you can see the generations, and obviously we talked about the lack of chinuch, because clearly, again, would it be possible to even reach these people through chinuch? It would be hard to say. But still, again, I, I found this an interesting little note about, if you want to know what was going on, that is a, an example of the Dora Dora Vidora show. Um, let me do one more thing. Again, we have only a couple of minutes left. But that's an example of how you can find this type of stuff. Um, what did I want to do? One more thing? Um, okay. Let's take a look here. Um, I, I, I want to mention Menachem ben Sion Zaks. It was, um, let's try one thing here, please. Um, here we go. Uh, let's take a look at, uh, let's take a look at, at this, shall we? Um, um, this one. Um, come to the shear, you'll, you'll see. We've got, uh, okay. So take a look here. Um, it's sort of, oh, okay. That's, that's where I get it, but where do I, finding it is someplace else. I get finding it takes a little bit. There's 46,000 <laughs> Okay. Um, here's an example of Drushim from the 50s, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, the Drushes were developed actually over a period of 50 years, uh, by one of the Crown Rabbonim of Chicago, uh, Rabbi Menachem Ben Sion Sachs. He was a, a son-in-law of Rabbi Tzvi Pesach who was the Av Bezni Mirshalayim. He had a smicha or from Rabbi Kuk Satzal and from his father-in-law. He was a man in his mid-twenties, and he came to Chicago to become a Rebbe in the yeshiva that I was there for 20 years. He was a young fellow, had a history of bringing European geniuses. Rav Zaks ended up staying in Chicago for close to 50 years. He created what's known as the Associated Talmud Torah. You've probably heard of that, where he tried to put all the, the Mokomos Torah under one umbrella and, and did a, a tremendous amount in strengthening. He started, and again, he, he, he took a lot of criticism in the Haredi press for starting a high uh, school, uh, Ida Crown, which I taught in, that had boys and girls together, sometimes in separate classes, in the same classes, but he felt what he was doing was actually a hot solo for the community that it was going to be. Because if you take a look at it, even though we talked about the, the young Israel, so eighth grade, but high school was filled. Both was very uncommon. So he, his uh, back started the first uh, Jewish religious high school, and that was, later got the name Ida Crown Jewish Academy, uh, because the crown gave the money. But anyway, Zach's gave a lot of drushes. Here's a drusha that I think is uh, is relevant. Uh, the Pusik says that uh, Kayan uh, uh, gave birth to a child, Hanoch, and he called his, he, he called the city <coughs> like the name of his son, Hanoch. 
So first, Rav Zaks goes into showing that this was a very, um, this time in history was, was where people learned things on the fly. But take a look. After Cain kills Hevel, he's He says, how did I become a murderer? I know I murdered. I didn't know it was wrong, but I murdered. Mitzvot Nokovbo, his, his conscience rattled him. He says, how could I have done this to kill my brother? He says, it must be, Kayan felt, he did a psychological uh, review of himself, that must be humankind is really aggressive and wild in its, in its, in, in its roots. A person needs to train themselves in order to combat that. The ear hapera shebikirbo, the wild ass, so to speak, that's, that's within him. So therefore he said, I just killed my brother. My son, I'm going to call him Hanoch. Because if we want to change ourselves, if we want our children not to be like us, they shouldn't be machavle olam. They shouldn't be violent murderers. So we need to train them, to guide them, to, to let them overcome the chushativi aparoshavikirbab. So therefore he said, you know what? I, where my son is going to live, I'm going to call the whole city Hanoch. Because Hanoch means that everybody in the city needs to do this. Everyone needs to realize that if you don't train your children, if you don't give them some sort of advice, direction, what's going to happen is the city is going to turn into the wild, the wild killing fields. It's going to be Anshibliyao. So therefore, by calling the city Chanoch, I'm telling you that what we're going to end up building is schools in order that we didn't have to build prisons. Um, the other thing he wanted to say is that by saying the city's Chanoch, Hillary Clinton will be happy with this, because it's not enough to give a person a chinuch, one, your own child, like the Leopold and Loeb's did. You need to create an environment, a whole city that's built on chinuch. Because if you have a, a, a positive environment, then if you don't have a positive environment, then you can hire the best governor, the best tutor, and you'll see the chinachatov that your child keeps will be completely irrelevant. And your son is going to go, not going to listen to what you've been learning. So therefore, ha'ir, the whole city, the, the, the stores, the streets, they're all called chinuch. They all have to be the whole city is chinuch because the whole city has to be has to be concentrated on being connected to the right proper chinuch. So you see again, this is a nice little drash about the way he saw life, what was going on in Chicago and American Jewry. But he took a, a nice chap in the pasuk, right? The Pusik says, you think about it, why did he call his son Hanukkah? Why does he call this city Hanukkah? Normally say, oh, oh, I'm gonna call that to my son, everybody, right? Everybody looks and says, hey, that's my son, my, right? Like he's a big Balgaiva. But again, what he does is, with a little bit of a twist, he's able to actually take something, and, and it sounds very endlessly. I actually think this shows a little more polish than Silverstone. Silverstone is just reading the New York Times, kind of like fulminating. What he's doing is actually taking a certain message, and using that message to really create a difference. And the people here says, yeah, you're right. Our whole city has to be primed in creating a good Jewish man. Okay, Rabbi Say, have a good night. We'll give it to show back next week. Thank you. Okay.